Amen. Well, I was at the pub on uh, Monday night meeting, meeting John uh, to, to chat about, uh, there he is at the back, so I'm wondering where you were, uh, to, to chat about the service uh, t- uh, today. Uh, and then just as I was about to enter that pub there, I was met with a, with a sign, Christmas is coming, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It is indeed that time of year again where the Christmas adverts on TV are, are being rolled out to see who's got the best adverts. I think it's usually John Lewis or something, isn't it? Um, the, the, uh, there's that annual competition of people trying to rack up the largest electricity bills with uh, light shows and inflatable Santas outside their houses. Um, the Christmas jumpers are on. Uh, Christmas is coming. I wonder what, what goes through your mind as you hear Christmas is coming. Maybe, maybe full, of, full of problems. Oh, I need to do this, and I haven't got this, and I hope the family behaves themselves this year. And maybe we can just get through one day. <laughs> maybe it's, it, it's promises, like the weather. It's going to be a white Christmas again this year. Promises of a happy day. Promises of excitement and fun. Laughter with family and friends. Problems and promises often frame the sign of Christmas is coming. And the Bible agrees with that. From the very start of our Bibles, at the very start of human history, there is a big sign hanging saying Christmas is coming. And it's framed with the greatest of problems. And the greatest of promises. Problems greater than anxieties over presents and food. And a promise greater than even a white Christmas. Christmas is coming. And it's framed firstly with a great problem. Our great problem. The beginning of Christmas is, is not a, in a manger, but in a garden. A garden that was beautiful beyond any beauty that we have ever seen. Perfection like we have never known. Full of harmony and tranquility. Not a thing is out of place. And into this beautiful world, God makes man and woman a perfect combination for one another and places them into his creation and humanity felt no shame and God gave them the express permission to go and enjoy his creation be fruitful enjoy cultivating enjoy creating go and flourish in this paradise and within all of this Then all of that freedom, God sets just one restriction, just one boundary line. You can have whatever you want, but you don't eat from this tree. You can eat from any other tree you want, but you don't eat from this tree. And off they went. And and we might think, If Christmas begins here, it sounds like an idyllic, Instagrammable Christmas picture, doesn't it? Beautiful scenes, 
families getting on well. There's harmony, there's peace, and there's a warning not to overeat. It's wonderful. But the question is, would they believe God's word? The question is, would they, would they trust that God is good in giving a restriction? Or will they believe that they know best and do whatever they choose? The beginning of Christmas begins with a great problem. And it's into this wonderful scenery as we, as we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 that the serpent enters. And who is this serpent? Well, Revelation 12 tells us this ancient serpent who is called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And Satan is hell-bent on hindering and, if possible, to destroy the work of God's kingdom by, by every means possible. Slithering into the garden comes this serpent. And he strikes up a conversation with Eve. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, of course, God didn't say that. And the first response from Eve is good. God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. And the serpent tells the woman, well, I, I can tell you without any, of a, any doubt that you will not die. Verse 5, for, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what's the serpent trying to do here? Well, he wants to get Eve to, to question God's goodness. He's, he's trying to convince her that, that God, is, God is withholding something good from you. And that if you want to truly be happy, then you'll never find it within the boundaries that God sets. And it's the same lie that that, that ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, has been telling humanity ever since. Trying to get humanity to reject God's good creative order for life that brings flourishing and joy in life. Trying to get us to go our own way, trying to convince us God is a killjoy. He's holding you back. Surely there's nothing wrong with doing something like that. And Eve believes him. She listens to him, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree looked good to eat. And then she desired it in her stomach. And she said it was good for knowledge and wanted that wisdom. And she took it and she ate it. And three ways that humanity was, was tempted here. that We see something and we want something. And we believe something. In other words, that, well, well, that looks good. I bet that tastes good. 
It doesn't matter what God says. I know better than him. Encouraged by the lie that there, there'd be no consequences to her actions. She takes and she eats the fruit and she gives some to Adam. Who was seemingly right beside her all this time in verse 6. He's not off pruning the flowers somewhere over else, cultivating somewhere else, innocent and all this. No, he's right there next to her. He's right there next to her and he is silent. He's choosing to stay silent and he's choosing to disobey God as he eats the fruits as well. The great lie that they believed is that they could push beyond the boundaries of God's beautiful plan and there would be no consequences. But that is far from the truth. For sin always has consequence. And as soon as they they bite into that fruit, sin bursts into creation. Instant guilt. Adam and Eve, their eyes, they're they're opened and they realize that they're exposed, naked. There's nothing new in that. They were always naked, but now they know they are. The nakedness is a a sign, a a symbol for, for the guilt and the shame that they now feel. In an instance, their relationship between, between God and man is broken. And in an instance, the, uh, uh, you know, Adam, who once enjoyed being with God and communing with God, now hides from God, verse 8. Like a child who nicks a biscuit from the kitchen and then hears the parent coming down but hides behind a curtain which finishes here and shows their feet exactly where they are. It is stupid. What's he doing? Pointless. Relationship between husband and wife is broken. Verse 12. God, it's all her fault. And it's your fault as well because you sent it to me. All of a sudden, death becomes a reality of humanity if we read on to verse 19. The consequences of sin come bearing down as a great weight upon them. Even the very ground that they will work is cursed. Sin has caused a vast chasm between man and God. It causes banishment from the garden. Eden is lost. And the human condition is now set from the moment they bit into that fruit. Sin has become the invasive species of the human heart. Radically corrupting us to the very core of who we are. Psalm 51, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all, they, they, they've, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace. They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Romans 5, by very nature, we, like Adam, are deserving of wrath, alienated from God. There has been a list that's made at Christmas. There's been a list that's made in time for Christmas, and not one of us, not one of us makes it onto the list that deserves blessing. Not one of us that makes it onto a list that should receive any good gift from God. Not one of us. Instead, humanity lingers under death's dark shadow, under the wrath of God. Now, I know we are probably thinking at this point, hang on a minute. Where's the Christmas cheer, Stu? Isn't Christmas to be a time where we all escape the seriousness of life and the misery and the despair? Just for a brief moment? Well, the reality of the beginning of Christmas is that it is like the start of a Christmas carol. The Marleys were dead to begin with. There is no doubt about that. Christmas' coming reminds us of the problem that frames Christmas, our total unworthiness and the dark, ugly reality of our sin. In the words of Ephesians 2, we were all dead in our sins to begin with. There's no doubt about that. And the cry comes then, is anything to be done? Has Satan succeeded in destroying the work of God's kingdom? Is there anyone that could reach down into this dire situation and fix what has been broken? Into the darkness of sin and all of its ugly and dire consequences comes hope. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming with a, with a promised gift. It's a gift that we, are receive, we, are, we need to receive. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. On the heels of the first sin, God comes bursting in with grace. For the tempter who led humanity astray, man's enemy, there is no hope for him. He is cursed. He will be crushed. He will eat dust. As a, as a child of the 90s, who grew up in the 90s anyway, wrestling two brothers, eat dirt, was something that was said regularly as you won out over your brother and shoved his face into the ground. It was a, it was a sign of total victory. Eat dirt. Satan is to be completely destroyed. Total victory is coming. He will be destroyed by a he, Genesis 3 says. But who is the he here? 
who is the child. A particular child who will come not from man, but from woman. Well, there's only one who matches the description here. Only one who was born in such a miraculous way without man's involvement. Only one who will not fail like the rest of humanity. Only one who had the mission to crush Satan and reverse all that happened here in the garden and ever since. The he God is speaking about is himself. How he will burst into time and space in the person of the Lord Jesus. How he will clothe himself in flesh. How he will be born of a woman. And how he will fix what is broken. What an amazing gift. What a miraculous gift. What a totally undeserved gift. A gift of mercy, a gift that will bridge the chasm between God and man that sin caused, a gift that will make everything in the world right again. You see, Jesus doesn't just appear for the first time in a manger in Bethlehem randomly. No, here is Jesus. He is the serpent crusher. One who will strike Satan's head. He is the one that, that, as Tolkien writes in The Lord of the Rings, will make everything sad untrue. Jesus is the promised gift of grace. Christmas is coming. Jesus is coming. Out of the consequences and brokenness of sin comes the call of Christ is coming, which continues to sound triumphantly throughout the pages of Scripture. And, and unfortunately, we don't have time to go through each book, but go and do it. Go and trace it. But we might just focus in on, on, on one here. Um, Isaiah declares, Christmas is coming for the people are walking in darkness. That darkness, a metaphor for death's shadow, all the consequences that spring out of Genesis 3. The people are walking in darkness. They will see a great light for unto us. A child is born. A child is given. Christmas is coming and the gift of this son is going to change everything. Christmas is coming, says the angel to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. The word, the promise given by God that from a woman would come, the serpent crusher will not fail. Here he is. 
age after age of the promise. Christmas is coming. Excitement is building. Anticipation is growing. Hope is stirring until finally the gift that is promised in the garden arrives in a manger. And Jesus in a manger isn't a, ah, moment. Come, let's, let's us adore him. It's, it's not that. It's, oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Jesus in the manger is God with us. The promised gift of Genesis 3. And immediately after he's born, he's at war with Satan. Satan's trying to kill him off through Herod and the mass killing of every baby under two. But Jesus survives and he grows up and for 40 days and 40 nights he fasts in the desert. Led by the Spirit of God. And then Satan, that ancient serpent, comes slithering up to him in the way that he did to Adam and Eve to try and tempt Jesus in every way. But unlike Adam and Eve and Eden, Jesus doesn't let his eyes or his desires or his beliefs move away from what God says is good and right and pure. And he continues through his sinless life, the spotless Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's tempted again from one garden to the, of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. And now Jesus resists where Adam failed. Why? Because 1 John 3 verse 8 says, He has come to destroy the devil's works. For Jesus is the only one who could put the world back to rights. The only one who can take away our banishment from God. The only one who can break the enslaving power of sin. The only one who can put death's dark shadow to flight. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel has come to us. The promised gift has come to us. See now the promised gift hanging on a cross. His body broken, his blood poured out for our deliverance. If there was any other way, do you not think God would have done it all the way back in Eden? No, this is the only way. For all that was done in Eden and thereafter to be undone. What must have seemed like a knockout blow for the enemy in Jesus' death was but a bruise to his heel. As Jesus triumphantly rises from the grave. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all and, to, and sits down at the right hand of the Father in heaven because his work is finished. Redemption has been accomplished. What gift of grace is Jesus our Redeemer? There is no more that heaven can give. Each Christmas that comes remind us that, that we were dead in our sins to begin with. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, the promised gift to fix what was broken. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more should die.
but how are you feeling as you sit here this morning and you listen to this? Maybe you're wondering, I don't know, what's, what's for dinner? Maybe you're wondering how long is this guy going to speak for? Or maybe, just maybe, you feel your brokenness this morning. In a way that you see yourself in Adam and Eve and how they acted in, a garden, in the garden. That you, be, that you believed the lie that, that God's a killjoy and he's holding you back and so rejected God, believing that you know what's best and that there'll be no consequences for your actions or your thoughts or your words. What harm would it be for me to, to watch this? What, well, what harm would it be for me to mess around in some relationships? Or, or, or what harm would it, would it be for me to gossip and lie and cheat? What harm would it, be, would it be for me to just take that thing that I want? Or what harm would it be, fill in the blank? And as we dabble in what God says isn't good, we find ourselves trying to hide from God and blaming anything and anyone when we see that things are going so wrong. But the weight of sin bears heavy. David says in the Psalms, it's like a crushing of your bones. And maybe this morning we feel that weight. But the good news is, And just like God with Adam and Eve, he knows what we've done. And even though he knows the whole truth, he loves us so much that he entered the world that he created, lived how we ought to have lived perfectly in following God's commands, but died how we deserve to die so that we could be forgiven from our rebellion from God. He rose again, showing us that death is defeated. Jesus, the promised gift from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, is a free gift on offer from God to you, to me. Christmas has come. Forgiven is sin. A way back to relationship with the living God. An everlasting life with him. We don't have to be crushed by the weight of sin anymore. We don't have to live in the regrets of what we have done anymore. All we have to do is to receive Jesus, the promised gift of Genesis chapter 3. This sounds amazing. And it seems as though Everything in the world should be fixed now. But each Christmas that goes by after that very first one, we know and we feel that we still live in a world full of problems, wars around the world. What's happening in Dublin right now? Famine and injustices could go on and on. We are so keenly aware of the sin that we wrestle with each day. But there's a new excitement that is building amongst God's people. 
Each Christmas that we celebrate reminds us that Jesus is coming again. Not in a stable as a child in meekness and humility, but, but as the glorious and, and risen, conquering Savior. Revelation describes him as a mighty warrior, a roaring lion. His glory shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. On that day when Jesus comes, Jesus, who has already destroyed the works of the devil, will finally crush and destroy that ancient serpent, the one who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He will be destroyed completely. And on that day when we see him, we will receive the gift of eternal life with him and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We will feast in endless joy and there will be peace, real peace, lasting peace. No more family strains or wars or sins or death. No more will sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground for Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And we will enter a garden even better than Eden and be with him forever. Christmas is coming, and each year that it does, it reminds us of our great problem of sin and how undeserving we are of grace. But it also reminds us of God's incredible kindness and mercy delivered in the promised gift of Jesus. And it reminds us that Jesus promises to come again to finally sort it all out once and for all. As we approach Christmas this year, as we rightly enjoy the gifts, enjoy the time with friends and family, enjoy the food, enjoy whatever it is that our traditions are for Christmas, as we rightly enjoy those things, let us encourage each other, though, not to get too wrapped up in wrapping or blinded by lights that we forget what Christmas coming is all about. Let's pray together.